Welcome to Professors Talk Pedagogy, a podcast from the Academy for Teaching and Learning at Baylor University. I'm your host, Christopher Richmond. Professors Talk Pedagogy presents discussions with great professors about pedagogy, curriculum, and learning in order to propel the virtuous cycle of teaching. As we frankly and critically investigate our teaching, we open new lines of inquiry, we engage in conversation with colleagues, and we attune to students' experiences, all of which not only improves our teaching, but enriches and motivates ongoing investigation. And so the cycle continues. Today, our guest is Dr. Corey Carbonara, Professor of Film and Digital Media at Baylor University. Dr. Carbonara is an active filmmaker and teaches corporate communication, lighting, cinematography, and production. Dr. Carbonara has frequently been recognized as an outstanding teacher. He was recently awarded the Excellence in Education Medal from the Society of Motion Picture and Television Engineers. And in 2016, Dr. Carbonara was named Baylor Master Teacher, the highest award for teaching bestowed by the university. We are delighted to welcome Dr. Carbonara to the show to discuss the symbiotic relationship between industry and academia, the importance of getting students involved, and why it's probably not a good idea to stand on a table to make a point in class. Well, Corey Carbonara, thank you so much for joining our show and taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, Christopher, it's a good, great pleasure for me to be here. I wonder if you could just begin by telling our listeners, our audience, a little bit about your own academic journey and the kinds of, of teaching that you've done and, and positions you've, you've held here at Baylor. Sure, sure. Let me go back and uh, kind of start from the beginning. So for me, um, my first teaching experience was as a uh, teacher of record at the University of Iowa, where I taught um, a beginning class in television production. And uh, that was, uh, you know, a very fascinating and interesting thing for me because I really enjoyed uh, teaching. And I, I you know, didn't pursue that path thinking that I would actually just stay in the academy at that point and then become a teacher, but I did enjoy it. So that was really interesting. Uh, as it turned out, I wound up uh, getting a, uh, my first degree at the University of Iowa in uh, broadcasting and film, and then uh, moved uh, into working right away into the industry. Uh, I actually worked in Chicago in production and um, was a few years after I had been out um, and in the marketplace that I decided I wanted to go back. So that's how I got to become a teacher of record. It was in my master's when I went back to the University of Iowa uh, to continue my work uh, in, in graduate school. Um, after that, I wound up going directly into the production world, working um, again, uh, you know, in production with uh, Columbia Pictures Television Group out of Chicago. So, um, and the reason why I'm saying this is it's going to lead to my next teaching gig. But uh, I wound up um, actually working for uh, uh, Columbia, you know, it was Columbia Pictures that owned it. Uh, it was called Editel uh, Chicago. And we, we wound up actually shooting and, and uh, editing all sorts of um, commercials for big national and international clients. I mean, this was McDonald's and United Airlines and Quaker Oats and Prudential Insurance and a lot of other, you know, major uh, companies like that. Uh, at the time I was doing that, I was, I was pursued by Columbia College, which was located uh, maybe about a mile and a half away from where our, our facilities were, our soundstage and everything in Chicago. 
And uh, I wound up teaching post. I wound up teaching post-production there. And uh, I, again, enjoyed it very much. Um, it was kind of interesting. My life at that point was all Columbia, right? I was Columbia Pictures and then working at Columbia College. And, and uh, you know, it was really kind of an interesting time. Uh, again, I wasn't thinking that that was going to be my, my career path. Uh, but I did enjoy it, and I wound up doing it for a couple of years. Um, then we'll flash forward a little bit to um, when um, Dr. Corpy came to Baylor. Now, Michael Corpy had been a, a, a friend of mine from graduate school. We were filmmakers together at the University of Iowa. So he's responsible for getting me actually to Baylor. And um, what happened was he uh, came here to Baylor in um, 19, uh, let's see, 82. And uh, he was here, you know, for three months. He started in, in August, and then um, about the November timeframe. Well, actually, it was December. Uh, he calls me up and 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 says to me, um, "Why don't you come down and and uh, check uh, check out Baylor?" And uh, at that point, I, I I really hadn't thought about actually teaching full time, but I came down to Baylor, and I got to be honest, I really fell in love with the campus. I fell in love with the school. Um, so I made a shift, and I actually moved. Uh, here and joined the faculty uh, the first time in uh, 83. And uh, my very first student, in fact, um, is a name that most people out there who are affiliated with Baylor will know, uh, Michael Singletary, um, the legendary uh, football player, you know, who went on to actually um, do a great job um, taking uh, and helping to get our, our Chicago Bears. I'm a Chicagoan, so I could say our Chicago Bears. So, so my life was Bears, too. So it was kind of interesting. You know, <laughs> Columbia first and now. Now it's bears. I've got these bears, you know, I'm loyal to. Uh, but anyway, uh, it was it was fascinating. It, it, a quick little interesting story about that, if you don't mind. Um, Michael Singletary, that was the first time I met him. I actually met him in the edit room when uh, I was putting together uh, the, the season before when he was actually here as a senior. I was putting together a reel for NCAA college football that was an ABC show that we were uh, we were producing. And uh, I looked at the fierceness of this guy's eyes. And uh, I, I, you know, this was before he actually went to the Chicago Bears. And I was, I was like, you know, amazed by this, uh, this incredible linebacker. Well, it turns out that he goes to the Chicago Bears. And then, of course, he's my first student. So that was kind of an interesting time. <laughs> but anyway, that, that started uh, the path. And then the only other uh, timeline thing I want to do to situate everybody is to say that um, in 1985, uh, I received an offer from Sony to become the first um, executive in charge of high definition television, the first product manager of the entire product line for high definition. So uh, I wound up leaving. It was not an easy decision. You know, I, I really love teaching. I love teaching at Baylor. I love the relationship with the students and the, and the faculty. We had a great department, great, you know, uh, series of, of events that were taking place here. And, and yet, you know, after a lot of prayer, I, I felt that uh, I was really being called to take this position. It was very interesting because, you know, my, my clients were the Hollywood film studios and all the presidents and the executive vice presidents there. And then all the presidents of all the major networks in New York. So although I was based out of New York, I spent a lot of time, half the amount of time actually in Los Angeles. And uh, it was, uh, did that for a couple of years. And then in 80, um, uh, well, actually, yeah, it wasn't even a full two years. Uh, I wound up in the latter part of 86, coming back to Baylor, realizing that my true calling was teaching. And even though I had a successful time there, you know, I, I, it was, we had some great first sales and uh, things were going extremely well. 
but we did, um, I did make that decision uh, when offered um, to come back, you know, would you like to come back to teach? Again, much prayer, um, realized that I was a teacher and, uh, and that was my calling. And so I, I came back to Baylor. Now, um, Sony was really excited about the fact that I didn't go to Panasonic or to Toshiba or any of the other competitors, you know? So um, what happened was we wound up getting an incredible relationship with Sony that uh, continued and, and continues to this, this, this day. And we were the first university in the world to actually have equipment that we could use that was high definition equipment. So we had the first curriculum on high definition here. Uh, it wasn't equipment that we had to buy. It was equipment that was really loaned to us, right? Um, until the point later, uh, you know, in our, our, uh, our years that we, you know, actually could afford to, to do, uh, get our own equipment. But uh, it was a fascinating, uh, fascinating journey that got me here to Baylor. So from 86, I've been here ever since. All right. Wow. That's, that's, that is quite the story. And, you know, anyone who's, who could read your bio online sees all of the work in industry that you've done. And I'm sure that's just the, the tip of the iceberg in, in, in terms of how you've worked in the industry. And I, this is something that I find really fascinating because a lot of our colleagues in the academy and folks that I interviewed for, for this podcast, you know, they, they are typical academics, you know, by which I mean they've, they've spent their adult life in higher education and most of the time went kind of, you know, relatively smoothly from undergrad to graduate school into, uh, into teaching in, in higher ed. And so that there's, there's great things to be said about that, but I'm sure there's great things to be said about having that industry experience that you bring into it as well. So I'm wondering first, if you could just say what your impressions are of the differences in terms of the work uh, environment and pace and relationships when you think about industry work versus academia? Yeah, well, uh, sure, uh, Chris, Christopher. Uh, you know, the interesting things about it is uh, in the industry, uh, one of the things, especially during the timing at the point when I was actually working with uh, Sony, um, you know, the, the pace is very fast. And, and um, there were a lot of um, days that were actually like almost 18 hour days, right? Um, on commercials, if we um, were running into any problems at all, um, sometimes I would work 24 hours straight on a commercial, uh, but it had to be done. And so there were a lot of hours that were actually put in um, in, in terms of uh, working in the industry. And uh, it's not to say that there, you know, there isn't a lot of hours that we put in as, as teachers. I think every, every teacher out there understands and knows uh, that there is a misconception about the amount of work that we do. I think sometimes, not, not everybody, but some people. And, uh, you know, if, if you enjoy what you do and if you do it well, then uh, I think every teacher out there realizes it's not, it's not an eight to five job. You know, it really is uh, a job that, you know, involves, you know, going beyond the five o'clock timeframe at times. And uh, so, so, you know, yes, it's, it's probably lighter in terms of the actual um, pace, but at the same time, um, depending on your research agenda, uh, depending on how you're getting students involved in the types of things that you do, not only in your classes, but also in your own research and, and sharing that research with them, letting them become a part of that, then um, it, uh, you know, it, it can also accumulate hours. But if you enjoy it, like I do, uh, you, know, you don't mind that. And in fact, it's, it's uh, rewarding to actually have that opportunity to work with students at that level. Just on the surface, it would seem that the that the major difference 
between industry and academia would be that in industry, you're, you're spending most of the time, if not all of your time, working with colleagues, whereas in academia, you're spending a great deal of your time working with students. And I know the student slash colleague uh, line is, is uh, you know, depending on who you are as an instructor, how you want to view your students, you know, as budding colleagues or as or students. But I'm wondering if, if you have thoughts about how that relationship with students makes that kind of work different. You know, one of the interesting things about this is it's tied back to the um, a, a conversation we were just having a minute ago, you know, about that relationship in terms of like bringing them involved in the research and what have you. I think one of the benefits of what I teach in the, the area that I teach in, which is film and digital media, is that over the years, I think the students have respected the fact that um, I have been in the industry. Um, and one of the things that's interesting about Baylor is that they've encouraged me and allowed me to keep uh, another foot in that industry lane and then have the other foot, you know, perfectly in, in the uh, academic lane and in, in, in terms of the academy. So, so with regards to students, um, I think that a couple of things kind of happen. One, um, there's a respect there uh, for the knowledge base because it isn't just textbook or, or it isn't just um, you know, uh, pursued in a very, very narrow sense, but there's a wide range of experiences um, that I've been very fortunate to kind of bring and to, the, to the classroom. And when you do that, um, you know, it's, it's fascinating because in film and digital media, uh, we're about uh, creativity and we're about creating things uh, that have lots of different instrumentation that go together and lots of different relationships of people working together. And um, that, you know, to me has been really, really one of the most fascinating things. I think, I think you're, you're, you know, how do you view your students? You know, I, I tend to view my students really as, um, you know, burgeoning creatives um, and, and, you know, scholars. Um, you know, and, and I, it's been fascinating because like you mentioned before, you know, I'm kind of a little bit atypical here. You know, I, I have research that I do that's, you know, straight publication and, you know, involves, you know, really working in both qualitative and quantitative methodologies as the tools to get there. But then I also create and I also produce and direct and edit and, and, and I'm a cinematographer and I've done that in my creative work. So um, the students, getting them involved in this is extremely important and seeing them as being able to uh, be future creatives and researchers of, of excellence is, is how I treat them. And, and I think that's kind of what I go in by. You know, I go in with the fact that you have a tremendous amount of potential here. You're at Baylor for a reason. There's a reason why we've accepted you. And because of that, my job is to help you get to the level of excellence that that really is your your dream. You know, I need to be able to do that, and the way you do that is you work with them side by side. So, so I, I we have a, a saying, Corpy and I, Dr. Corpy and I, we have a saying where, you know, we really don't want to get into involved in research if our students can't be a part of it, and that's undergraduates as well as graduates. And, you know, it started out in the beginning um, when companies that we would work with would say, uh, well, you know, okay, um, let's let, you know, we'll do that. And then all of a sudden they see how fascinating and how articulate our students are. And, you know, I, I like to think of Baylor students as, as having, you know, uh, abilities and articulation in, in writing and in speaking and in social skills, as well as in technical prowess. 
And when these uh, students are, are involved in these projects, now it's no longer, well, okay. They're like, how many more of Jacks do you have? And how many more, you know, Joels do you, can you give me, you know? Uh, and they wind up getting either internships or they wind up getting hired. And, and that's really the excitement, I think, of what happens when um, the industry discovers the gem that is the academy. I gather that you're, you're teaching bread and butter uh, our classes that the outsider like me would look at and, and see as fairly technical, uh, like lighting, design, uh, cinematography, production, and things like that. How do you think that is different, if, if, if you have thoughts about this, from those more traditional academic ways of, of doing knowledge, of working with knowledge, you know, as you were saying, from textbooks, you know, in, in those types of ways? Yeah, so for me, um, interesting enough, because I do both, right? So I've had the opportunity to be um, strictly academic in terms of the way in which some of my courses are done um, with regards to theory and praxis. You know, and, but theory and praxis absolutely fits into a production course as well. So when you take a look at this in terms of technical, there's technical, which would be um, one interpretation. The other one is technique, which is another interpretation, right? And they're very closely aligned because they're, they're both about tools. And, and so what's fascinating about that for me is the fact that if you are going to um, teach a course like lighting and cinematography, for example, you brought up, which I'm teaching right now, uh, you know, and I love the fact that we're teaching it, you know, in, a, in this COVID era, we're, we're still practicing uh, very safe techniques. And, you know, our students have been wonderful in, in uh, understanding the reason why we do that. And what we're doing is we're actually uh, incorporating, this is a classic example of what you're talking about. We're incorporating the practices that are allowing, that is allowing, sorry, that is allowing Hollywood to come back, right, in terms of the production sequence. And we're, we're incorporating those same things that come from the union, for example, and we're, we're doing them at Baylor. So students who are coming out of this particular class, not only do they get the skill sets of actually hands-on, because they have to have hands-on. That's the only way you can teach this type of, of course, is you've got to get them to create, create again, and learn from each one of the times that they go through an assignment and create something new. But they're prepared because now they're even more prepared than maybe some other folks that had, who had just maybe got out before COVID hit. And, and they understand how to fit right into the production environment. Um, and they have been practicing those same practices and understand the reason why those have to be in place. So that's just an example of how, how quote, and students like to call it this way. They say, well, you know, one of the things I like about, you know, what we're doing, Dr. C, and that's what they call me, is because um, we're being real, you know? <laughs> And, and real in this case is, um, you know, obviously pr providing a, a, a realistic environment. So everything that they're doing, even in their productions, uh, we're treating it um, so that they understand when they go out how this would have been done professionally. Now, it helps that I have been in that position. It helps that I've continued to work with the industry, understanding that workflow, how that workflow has changed. And one of the things about, you know, uh, Baylor that's great and what our students, you know, are doing, uh, you know, is that they're able to be involved in cutting edge research. We started that with HDTV, continued that with editing movies on the desktop. We were very excited to say uh, that we were the first university to ever really have a curriculum that allowed you to edit, edit movies on your computer. 
on the desktop. We wrote um, a, a whole series of, of publications on this uh, involving our students and the Society of Motion Picture and Television Engineers actually published that, um, that article that we did the year that we started it. And uh, it was groundbreaking. And from that, at least, you know, I can tell you, <laughs> we got dozens, if not more than dozens and dozens of calls from both industry and from other universities that wanted to know, like, how were we able to implement this? And how, how you know, can we, can, can, can we offer some insight in terms of how they can do it? Well, our students are the ones that are coming out and benefiting from a lot of those firsts. So, so again, it's involving them, getting their hands on things, but also not shying away from the theoretical foundation that is important. You know, storytelling, if you're talking about visual narrative, for example, you know, you really need to understand aesthetic. And there is aesthetic theory that is extremely important to this. So it's always, for me, um, a balance between theory and praxis, whether you're in a heavy production course or whether you're actually in a lecture setting like diffusion of innovations where i'm teaching a theory of diffusion of innovations and a lot of methodologies about how to implement that theory in a variety of different industrial settings especially for our sake in the media industries but even there what i try to do is i try to build a simulation to allow those students that are in those types of classes to actually role play if you will as uh, a consulting firm. And so we created a, in that, in that lecture course, we created a mythical company called Nuco. And there are role-playing uh, opportunities throughout the semester where the teams have been quote hired by Nuco and they have to present to each other, the board. And, and you know what? Baylor students get really excited about those types of simulations. It's providing a practical opportunity, the praxis side, inside of a lecture course, but getting them involved so that they actually do increase those, those skills I talked about that make Baylor students such articulate students. They could speak in front of people. They know how to write. They have to write, write white papers and learn how to do that. Why? Well, yeah, you can do an academic paper and they still do those. But I show them in that assignment how to do an in, a quasi-industrial paper as well, because not everybody's going to go on for a master's. I totally understand that, or PhD. You know, I hope that they do, and I encourage them to go on for further degrees. I really do. But I realize that maybe some people are going to take a stop like I did and go into industry. And if they do that, they are so much more prepared. And I'm so excited to say that I have both graduate students and undergraduate students that are in that particular course from time to time, right? They, I have graduate students that do take it too. And they come from different disciplines. I have a lot of students from the business school as well as students from here. There's um, students who are interested, um, you know, there are business fellows or I, I'll get MIS students that are coming, you know, from the graduate uh, department at the business school. And what's neat about it is, is that they get so excited because a lot of them um, are receiving job opportunities, you know, either at the job fair or, or beyond. And, and they're saying, my gosh, you know what, Dr. C, uh, giving, a, giving us that opportunity to have done that type of praxis really prepared me, you know, for receiving uh, or, or getting a job offer from this company. You know, I, I'm not trying to say that every single person, you know, gets a job offer immediately, but 
what I am trying to say is, is that I think as teachers, we, we owe it to our students to make sure that we find creative and innovative ways of being able to get that mixture of theory and praxis down. And, and there are creative ways you can do that even in a large lecture setting. There's still, I think, opportunities for that to be done. That leads me to another question I wanted to ask you is throughout your decades of teaching, have there been any major turning points for you in, in how you teach, how you approach the craft of teaching? One of, one of the uh, interesting examples about the question you ask about uh, some things that I discovered, I think came about um, and is a direct result of uh, first starting to teach those lecture classes. You know, I mean, I always came here when I came to Baylor, I, I always had both types of classes to teach. You know, I had enough experience in the in the production side to do those. But I also, you know, came with a degree from Iowa, you know, uh, and this is even before I pursued my PhD at the University of Texas at Austin. But, um, you know, in Iowa, I, my, my, you know, background is, is in mass, mass communication theory. So, so again, being in, in, in those academic settings, I realized very, very quickly um, that you can lecture and you can make that lecture as entertaining or as stimulating as you can. But very early on, I saw the articulate nature of our students. And, you know, having taught at other places, all I'm saying is, is there's something very special about uh, the environment here at Baylor and um, the caliber of students that has been consistent, you know, for me at least, throughout all these, you know, 35 plus years, uh, you know, warranted me to start thinking about how can I get them involved. So uh, after doing a traditional approach in the beginning, uh, I, I had very early on an opportunity to teach the intro course, which is about 150 students, you know, in the classroom. And even there, I thought, you know, what was popular back in the 80s, and this is going to predate, you know, you, I'm sure. What was interesting, there was a show called Donahue. And Donahue was a, a talk style show where they had, had the uh, participants in the audience um, ask questions or, or make comments about things. <clears throat> so what was fascinating about that was I thought, well, you know what? Why don't we take a, a Donahue, uh, or today we would have called it maybe an Oprah style, you know? Mm -hmm. She did the same thing. She imitated that. And basically, <clears throat> I decided that, okay, I'm going to lecture. And there's going to be a point where I want to engage them. And even though there's 150 people, I go, so what do you think about that? You know, and if it's, if it's uh, an issue about, uh, you know, this advertising, uh, let's just pick one out of the air, right? Because advertising negatively influenced children on Saturday mornings, right? That was a Saturday morning cartoon festival in the 80s. Uh, so what I did was, I did that and then I would run around. I would run around like Phil Donahue, you know? And I, I, I made sure that I got myself a microphone and uh, I just said, okay, um, you know, I know not, not everybody's an extrovert and we're not gonna let all the extroverts dominate, but I wanna create a real interesting environment here. Let's, let's see if we can't get you to uh, engage in this lecture. And they did. And, and even some of the shyer folks who, who maybe, you know, weren't um, gonna come forward by the time we hit about October, that fall, I remember when I first did this, um, all of a sudden, the Shire folks that I was kind of understanding, they were coming forward because they felt so comfortable, you know, so comfortable with the way in which we were letting everybody get a chance to kind of say their thing. 
And then my job was to weave it back right into where I wanted to take them in terms of destination that day, uh, in terms of the of the content. And um, they came and they would they would comment, you know, uh, Dr. C, you know, that was really fun. Wow, I've never been in a lecture situation when where they opened it up and and you know we're all kind of thinking out there. At least some of us are, and you know. Uh, it was great. We got a chance to kind of really engage further and it was a fun environment. So I think that was one of the discovery that I made that, you know, was really uh, useful because then simulation became a real big part of what I did with undergraduates. So that leads me to the flip side of that question that I love anytime I'm having discussions with teachers about teaching, especially when I'm talking with folks who have won teaching awards. So congratulations again, by the way, to you for being named a master teacher. Thank you. I'm still humbled by that. You know, the fact that you 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 get this selection that happens, um, it is such a, uh, you know, it, it's coming from your students, it's coming from your peers. I mean, I, you know, I'm still humbled by that. I, 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 I I'm, yeah, I can't even, you know, I'm, I'm an articulate person and I can't speak when I take think of this because it, <laughs> I get choked up. I really, I, I mean yeah. this 100%. I, I'm just humbled by it so much. So the opportunity I see in a conversation like this is to to demystify what it means to be an effective teacher, because so many of us think that good teachers are born, and I'm a firm believer that good teachers are made. And uh, so what I love to hear from, from award-winning teachers is, what have you done that just hasn't worked? How, how, what have you learned so that you've become better? You weren't just born a master teacher. Yes. Um, well, I, I have an actually interesting story about that, um, and because I, it, I, it had, it forced me to change my uh, approach. Um, I teach a class uh, called um, Digital Media Technologies, and I, I've, I've taught this class. I taught this class first, even before I left to go to Sony. So um, it's been many, many years I've, I've been teaching it, and. What I try to do um, with these highly technical areas, um, especially in digital technologies. Is, is demystify it and actually allow creatives to, without having an engineering degree or, or, or having to get too techy, demystify the technology, but yet still give them a, a quite a lot of engineering, but do it in a way that it's been filtered by me, you know, to help them. So and analogies and things of that nature. Well, I've been known over the years to kind of put my whole body into this. So I have um, two quick stories of, of why I had to change my teaching script because it didn't work. But um, one of them was uh, I had this wild notion trying to teach them about the difference between AM and FM radio towers, okay? So uh, broadcasting towers for radio, um, amplitude modulation, frequency modulation, I was really teaching them about that. One of these, the AM towers, use the entire tower as the antenna. So whatever the structure is and how tall it is, if it's, you know, 300 feet in the air, you know, it, it, it basically is the antenna. Whereas FM, they have little antennas that just kind of, you know, are, are smaller. I mean, they may even be only like, a, you know, a yard in, in, in size or less. And, you know, so anyway, I was trying to teach them all this. So I, there was a table that was in uh, the auditorium and uh, it was a folding table that had been there for some other event. So I thought, well, you know what I'll do? I'm going to jump on this table and show them that you want to get on a big hill so that you can get height above average terrain. And I no sooner did that and got on there and I was less pounds than I am now. And I cracked right in the middle and I wound up cracking uh, three ribs. <laughs> oh my God. So I, I thought, okay, um, 
good thought. <laughs> Wonderful way to throw your whole body into it, but um, not probably wise to do. Uh, okay, so then I said, well, I'm going to modify and think of other creative ways to do it. So I have one more uh, entertaining story for you. Hopefully it's entertaining. I hope your audience will like this. So I'm teaching the same course and I'm teaching Ohm's Law. And what I do is I do the lecture on Ohm's Law, you know, which basically has to do with current and resistance and, and voltage. And I do it by uh, a football analogy. So I tell all the students um, that, let's say it's the, I think it's the, it, it's the, Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday course. It's a Thursday before our first opening home football game. And I say, wear all your Baylor gear, you know, any uh, gear, you know what I mean? Uh, Baylor, Baylor shirts. And if you got uniforms or if you've got, a, you know, uh, you know, anything that you got, wear it. And we're out, you know, so we're going to celebrate the fact that the football. Well, that year I had, um, I had three football players that were in my class and they were on the defense. And uh, what I did every year was I taught this, this uh, lecture by saying, um, and I, I and I would be decked out, you know, in my 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 all my Baylor stuff, and you know, I have a, a little football. It's a Nerf ball, and I said, okay, I need some volunteers. So I I, I brought some volunteers, and I do this every single year. I would do this like, oh my gosh, about you know maybe twenty years before this, uh, something like that. And and uh, it was it was the year when when uh, RG three uh, won the Heisman. Okay, so it was the year that we we actually had this great upset. Uh, you know, we were not they didn't think we would go as far that year as we did. So, uh, so, so of course the, the football, right? These three guys come down and they were, they were, you know, our, our, they were defense, they were defensive, de defensive tackles. And, and um, every year I would do it and I would do it where I would be the quarterback. Okay. Uh, to get involved. And then I have the students in there too. And we do this in the, in the beginning of, or the front of the uh, auditorium. And, um, Every year went fine, you know, and I clear everybody out for the first couple of rows just in case, you know, the balls, you know, went somewhere, you know, shouldn't and what have you. Well, this year, I'm telling you, I had some kids that were, you know, like hiking the ball to me. And the idea was I'm going to, you know, try to move forward as an electron, holding the electron, which is the football, move forward with current. And then, you know, it was up to the defense as the resistance to see how many yards I was going to get, in this case, feet, but we were converting it to yards. And, you know, how much feet? And that would be voltage. So it was like a great way to teach this, right? Oh, my gosh, that year, these two guys did a wishbone on me, picked me up, literally lifted me, because they heard hike, right? And it was like they just went into football mode. And um, next thing you know, I was tackled. And I, I, I wound up tearing my thigh, okay? Broke another two ribs <laughs> in this process. And, uh, you know, they were like, oh, they felt so bad, you know? And I, and I just like, class business, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and, and I immediately knew, you know, and then at the office is like, Carbonara, what did you do now? <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, what were you thinking, you know? So I wound up actually going to our coach that year and, uh, you know, we had a great year and I said, coach, I want to tell you something. I said, you know, a lot of those victories, so I want you to really know the, the secret motivation um, behind that. I said, it, it, it came from my class <laughs> and he was laughing about it. And he said, well, I'm so sorry that happened. I said, no, listen, that was, that was, a, 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 you know, I didn't think that through. So the, the bottom line is I don't do that anymore, but what I do is I do everything in slow motion and I'm the coach on the sidelines. 
and I don't have any football players come down. I'll just say, <laughs> here's the story. And they laugh about the story, you know, and then, but I get them involved. And you know what? Every, I, I don't think I, I can think of anybody who didn't get um, the questions on Ohm's law incorrect. I mean, I think that, you know, that visual, that participation, the fun, uh, all of that are, are ways that we can stimulate our students and, and really bring things that could have been dry you can, you can bring a lot of life to them that way. But that was definitely a situation where I, I, I modified my style. Well, there's a theme here in your, uh, in your broken ribs uh, that are, that's <laughs> happening, the, the, the physical risk you're taking. But I think, it, you know, even though you've changed some of these things in the way that you teach those, those particular topics, there's a theme here also of risk taking, I think, that you know, good, good teaching does involve some risk. You got to put yourself out there. It might not be physically standing on the desk, uh, you know, but it's, you have to be willing to be made fun of and to look a little foolish because sometimes those things are the most rememberable for, for students. Oh, that's so good. You know, I, I have, um, man, I've been a goof more than I can tell you, you know, In, in, in a good way though. I mean, not in a bad way. And what I mean by that is, you know, I may, you know, may have tried to like start things up with uh, 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 an analogy that I think in my mind is like, this is really good, you know. Uh, pride comes before the fall, by the way. <laughs> and, and, you know, and all of a sudden I look at this blank and I go, that just didn't work for you, did it? You know, and they're like, uh, no, Dr. C, that did not work. I go, all right, let's rethink it. Can anybody in here think of a better way to kind of provide an analogy? And you know what? They did. And I think that was probably one of the best discoveries for me that, you know what, we're on a journey together. And, and, and it, it, it let me know at that point, my goodness, you know what, from the beginning, we've got to let them, we as teachers have to let our students know that we really are on a journey together. I think every teacher who's out there that's listening to this recognizes that they've learned something from their students as well as what they feel that they've imparted to their students as their knowledge, right? Um, you know, and knowledge is one of those things where you give it to somebody, but you still have it. And when you get feedback from the people that you give knowledge to, you have more knowledge. So it is one of those interesting situations where it's a multiplier effect. And, um, you know, being willing to be human, so important. Uh, here, let me give another classic example. Uh, I, I have to augment, you know, and I augment my, my lectures, you know, because of COVID, right? You know, so, and I, and I have it there, you know, so that Students have narration. They can they can take some of the lectures and, and watch them again or listen to them. Um, I've learned that if you mess up on Zoom, I'll tell you what, especially in the teaching environment, it's okay. It's okay. Everybody messes up. Letting them see you as human and that, you know, we can make mistakes as well, I think endears us more to them. And we don't have to be perfect. And that's the thing about teaching. Uh, you don't have to be a perfect teacher. But you know what? I think one of the most important ingredients that I get and I get fed to by the students is passion. If I can do anything, I'm trying my hardest to build a fire of passion inside that, that course. And um, I, I think our students recognize when we truly love them, and I mean this in a very, very good sense, when we truly love them, they know it. When we truly care about them, they know it. And when we are human before them, they love it. So, you know, those are some of the, 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 the lessons that I've learned, you know, from my failures, really. And I have plenty of those. 
Well, uh, for the sake of time, I think we'll have to leave it there, but I want to thank you for talking with us. Thank you for your dedication to your teaching craft and for the, the passion that you bring to the work. And I think if there's anything that's the common denominator in, in master teachers, it is that, that passion. So Corey Carbonara, thank you again for joining us today. Christopher, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for asking me to do this. Our thanks again to Corey Carbonara for speaking with us today. For a list of the many exciting film and technological projects Corey has been involved in, you can see our show notes. And thanks also to Nick Townsend, Baylor graduate music composition student, for composing and performing our theme song. That's our show. Join us next time for Professors Talk Pedagogy.